Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Ain't gonna hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 1982's Mazes and Monsters. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you've already seen the movie. We should expand that when we say we, we have a very special guest, our first repeat guest on the show, DM Tim. Tim. Hello, gentlemen. It's a it's a dubious <laughs> honor to be here because uh, while, while I like having a victory lap every now and then, this time it didn't involve me watching this movie, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword here. All right. So even though we play your ad every single week on the show... And I appreciate that. I appreciate that mightily. (laughs) Why don't you tell everybody who you are and where you're from? Um, Yes, I am the Dungeon Master, or one of two Dungeon Masters now, on the Knights and Nerds podcast, which is a a 5th edition D&D actual play podcast, uh, with a little bit of a twist, because we have sort of these uh, behind-the-screen episodes that my players don't listen to, where I'm just sort of breaking down all the things that I'm trying to accomplish and how the players' decisions are messing with that. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting peek behind the curtains and uh, into my own uh, uh, shortcomings <laughs> as, a, as a dungeon master. <laughs> and I, I just want to point out to everybody that we do play the ad, but we do so because we actually enjoy the podcast here ourselves. Beyond the fact that Tim is a swell guy... Like, I listen to the show weekly, and I wouldn't advertise it if I didn't actually believe in it myself. So check it out. It is a fun time. Appreciate that. And a swell guy is exactly how my wife described me uh, in her wedding vows. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh sounds sensitive. Um, what's not swell, I guess, is the movie we're about to talk to. So should we dive into that one? Yeah, okay. Um, we ripped on the Ninth Gate real bad last time. And I would definitely rather talk about that movie again than this one. But I I do have to say, I have to say, thank God I finally found a film that gives me accurate insight into the lives of D&D players. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) We are not, we are not together, but I think I just heard a gauntlet hit the floor, sir. (laughs) Yeah, it's completely accurate. Uh, I guess I should point out, if anybody has yet to watch the movie and wants to check it out before we talk about it, you can pause this and check it out for free. It's both on YouTube and the Tubi app, so it's it's not difficult to find and it won't cost you anything. And you'll probably be very happy you didn't pay to see it, if that's the case. Um, to, paraphrase, to paraphrase David Bowie in um, The Prestige, it may be free, but what is the cost? <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, I tracked down an article from the New York Times from the day this movie was aired. Okay. Is this it entitled was... The Day Art Was Killed? Basically. But this movie aired at 9 p.m. on Tuesday, December 28th, 1982 on CBS. 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. This movie's an hour and 40 minutes, which means it took them up until about midnight with commercials. That does not sound like a fun Tuesday to me. But... Even in like the promotion slash review, the guy calls the movie dreadful. It hasn't even aired yet. No one has seen it. The advertisement says, don't do it. <laughs> really, way to drum up some excitement for it. <laughs> I had I had fun watching this movie. 
But this no. isn't, you know what? This isn't even a, a so bad that it's good and or like bad enough that it's enjoyable in a in a sick way. Like, in my opinion, but this this was just like I I said to you earlier. This this like you're talking about keeping a, a runtime of under two hours for movies that you want to watch. This one had a runtime of about infinity. Yeah, it was I mean, terrible. I mean, you say it's not even fun in a bad way or bad in a fun way. That's kind of sick. But to me, it was sick because I enjoyed it thinking about what I was about to put you guys through. <laughs> yeah. And like I was saying earlier, before we started recording, I didn't get to just watch the movie, which would have been bad enough. I had to stop and take notes through the entire thing to keep us on track. But thanks for that one. Hey, we have it on record that you said you were excited for this one. I was. I don't make the best decisions, dude. All right, well, stop procrastinating. Let's get into the first leading role for Tom Hanks in a movie. Uh, made for TV movie. It was still his first leading role. And I mean, we saw how his career turned out. So obviously this must have propelled him in a, in a fantastic direction. Well, I'm thinking when CBS got uh, the distribution rights to air this film, they were super stoked because Hanks had already been on Bosom Buddies for two years on a rival network on ABC. So I think they thought they struck pay dirt and then they got this. I said stop procrastinating and you're still procrastinating. Yeah, you were talking about Tom Hanks and I'm saying Tom Hanks was an actual name at this point. He wasn't just a nobody even though he's only 26. Can I, I, can I offer one? some some context before we rip this movie a new one? Go for it. Um, so this, my understanding is it's loosely based uh, on a real event in which uh, a young a young man died uh, and police or investigators found Dungeons and Dragons books in his uh, in his room. Uh, and this was during the the sort of the the height of the satanic panic. And so a lot of a lot of unnecessary connections, in fact, any connections between D and D and this and this individual's uh, passing were were entirely unnecessary. Uh, so I, I can't remember if it was uh, like a mental health issue yeah, um, in in real life, but it's. I mean, we're we're gonna be we're gonna be having some chuckles here, but like, in legitimately, that's sad and not funny. Um, and I'm always kind of a little bit uh, a little bit hesitant when there's when there's movies that try to tackle that subject of like a real life tragedy and and how they handle it this movie did not handle it well um <laughs> oh it turned it into like propaganda for a witch hunt yeah so it <laughs> yeah. i just you know what i i almost threw my laptop out of a window when the police was like these monsters is a far out game <laughs> <laughs> if, if yeah, my the, kids play. I know the game. That's the that's the scene I was thinking of too. The other cops just like, yeah, I know it. My kids play it. <laughs> well, then you're probably doing a pretty shitty job if, as a cop, you're trying to stop this game from going around, but you let your kids play it. So in in real life, a lot of people were like, oh my god, this this guy was playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's how he died. And in fact, uh, there there were these. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Chick Tracks. They're these little Christian. Uh, uh, like comic strips that that sometimes people leave in my mailbox. No, or they used to before I moved into the middle of a forest. Uh, so there was one about um, so they're they're like little you know 
little moral uh, comic strips about why you should be a Christian. And most of the time they're trying to scare you into doing it. Uh, that's that's their main approach with these things. And there was one about playing Dungeons and Dragons and then like there and it the 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 idea of this was that if you get too into the game and your character dies, you have to die in real life. Wow. I don't remember that rule when I was learning TNT. <laughs> yeah, I think they got rid of that rule after second edition or something. Oh, good, good. I mean, that that sounds almost as bad as Thacko, so it's a good thing they got rid of it. Almost, almost. almost. They're Th- like, Th- you know what, we shouldn't kill off our player base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would still rather do that rule than the Thacko rule, but, I mean, hey, I got in at three, the third edition, so so I'm good. I'm going to bring a bit of horror into this conversation, and it really sounds like Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, where the toy company is selling masks that will kill children at a certain time. Don't know. Of course you don't. Of course I don't. Let's get, in, let's get into this movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, we haven't even gotten into it yet. No, we haven't. Let's get into it. All right. <laughs> Night. The opening shot from the Naked Gun films. emergency vehicles are everywhere while workers search a cavern for a missing person a game of mazes and monsters got out of hand the victim of a seemingly innocent game mazes and monsters now mazes and monsters is a fantasy role-playing game in which the players create an imaginary character these characters are then plunged into a fantasy world of invented terrors the point of the game is to amass a fortune without being killed it's kind of a psychodrama, you might say, where these people deal with problems in their lives by acting them out. But in this case, there might be a loss of distinction between reality and fantasy, and possibly the loss of life in the process. Great intro, honestly, for a made-for-TV movie. It's so cheesy. I found it a little odd because of all places to start the movie with like a cutback of you know earlier why this scene because it's clearly not the end of the movie yeah and the weird thing about that too is throughout the movie we hear about people that get lost in those caves so i just thought that was like a you know kind of like a bit of backstory to how dangerous they really are and how dangerous the game is i didn't realize it was going to be a segment later in the film yeah, just a random middle segment. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good thing that they really secure the entrance to the caves with an almost impenetrable thin layer of balsa wood. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we move into the most 80s TV movie intro ever with the worst song of all time. Yeah, it was real bad. And I was convinced, like... I, I was like, what is this introduction? This has nothing to, like, it's not thematic in any way. This has nothing to do with, a, like, a fantasy game. It's New York and taxis. I was like, is this just stock footage? Yeah, I, that's how I felt. And I realized with that use of music, the target audience are the parents of the people in the movie, basically. Like, oh, God. If you have college student-aged children, this movie is for you. This is not for kids in school. And that, you know what, that... That makes no sense to me. Like, you might be right, but, like, every parent in this film has their head firmly up their own ass. Like, they're mm-hmm. like they're all detestable people. Yeah. The, the I, mu- I, except for Kate's mother. Kate's mother's okay. Oh, yeah. But the sure. music in general in this movie, throughout, never fits. 
No, it doesn't. Just like the acting. <laughs> All right. So we're introduced to JJ, who arrives at his home wearing a German helmet. The worst acting ever ensues, and we learn he's a genius and his mother is crazy. She's remodeled his bedroom and everything is white? I mean, it, I, I think he yeah. says it, and I can't disagree yeah. that, like, it looks like a hospital. It does. It really does. I, I, I was so sad after watching this scene because I knew exactly what I was getting myself into from that point. It is some of the worst acting I have ever seen in my life. Although Although maybe that, there's something to be said for remodeling like uh, a like a teenager's room without any fabrics, like it's just tile, so that like it's easy to hose off. <laughs> God. <laughs> And we're supposed to believe that JJ is 16? With an IQ of 190. Yes. And the best actor in this scene is Merlin. <laughs> Even that voiceover is terrible. Yeah, but it's still the best actor in comparison to JJ and his mom. Oh, you're not wrong. Definitely not wrong. It's just really sad. Moving on. We're introduced to Kate. And her mother, who are on a pier talking about failed marriage. Kate has writer's block, but she knows why. She hasn't lived yet, so how, she, how can she write about things she knows nothing of? Her mother gives her amazing advice. Use your imagination. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, fiction and fantasy writers? Yeah. Are we to believe that the only way they created these works are by living them? Yeah, definitely. That's how Thomas Harris came up with the idea of uh, Hannibal Lecter. He just started eating people. I mean, if you guys aren't aware, Tim is an author. What have you done? I mean, you, you can't write about uh, a, like a siege until you besiege a city, scale its walls, and murder the inhabitants. So, you know, that, that was a fun summer abroad. <laughs> I, I would love to see the adventures of Tim getting rid of his writer's block when he wrote that fantasy book. <laughs> Just walking into the airport covered in blood, be like, I have a, some great ideas, you guys. <laughs> Pay no attention to the severed head in my backpack. Get the publisher on the phone. <laughs> hey, this head is a souvenir. <laughs> Carry on? Yeah, anyways, like this this, uh, this scene on the, uh, on the pier with the, talking about writer's block, I'm already looking at my watch. Like, where, what, is, what is this? It is terrible. And the dialogue has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. We don't even see Kate's mother again for the rest of the movie. This it, is completely ridiculous. It does throw back to the writing at the very final scene when Kate, for no reason at all, narrates, which she wasn't doing earlier in the movie, that now she can write. Are we to but believe... she still wasn't using her imagination. Are we to believe that the entire purpose of this movie is to give Kate something to write about, as it's what bookends the story from that perspective yeah this it's movie the story of a struggling author this, tell me all right this movie who's the main character because at the beginning it looks like it's gonna be jj then it's about kate writing and she's the narrator at the end and then clearly tom hanks is the main character who is actually this story about i i don't know man i struggled with that too yeah, maybe we should save that for for a bit because I like I I did right at the end of this movie like 
like I had, I had some very pointed questions as to like what the point was. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. Next. Well, go ahead, Ben. All right. We get Daniel who's eating dinner with his parents. All he wants to do is make games using computers, much to his parents' chagrin. Probably the most realistic introduction of the three characters so far. Yes, but one that did not age very well, as his parents are adamant he can't make money by making computer games. Yeah, although, well, although if you put yourself in their shoes at the time, when it, you know, this is around the time, I think, of the video game industry's crash that they're still recovering from, it, it uh, does make... Yeah, about then. It does make sense, and they're actually pretty supportive in that sense, because they're like... Yeah, okay. There you know, there's a video game crash that's at that time not a lucrative option. So do it as a hobby and we want to support you in another career. It's like these were might this might have been the best parents in the movie in my opinion. Yep. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, although, like I said before, Kate's mom isn't exactly the worst. She's just pointless. <laughs> Don't get into what's <laughs> pointless in this movie. <laughs> the long list. <laughs> All right. Um, JJ and Kate arrive at Grant University, or college, I guess. Uh, Kate needs to know if they have a fourth player yet. JJ is putting an ad up on the bulletin board. These guys, like, they're obviously trying to act, right? But it feels more like they're stage actors than film actors or TV actors. Did either of you guys get that feeling? Like, everything is overemphasized and just completely unrealistic? <laughs> Yes. Good to know. Good to know. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said stage or or screen actors. <laughs> there was these crazy people downtown when I went to high school that used to blurt stuff at us that I I think maybe they believed in their mind. It would have been on that level, I guess. Mm. Well, next we're introduced to Robbie, his asshole father and drunk mother who are driving to Grant. Bickering ensues. I felt so bad for Tom Hanks' character in this one scene. And this is the only time I actually felt for a character in this entire movie. But he's obviously going somewhere he doesn't want to go. Incredibly stern father and alcoholic mother who are just arguing the entire time. And when they finally get there, the mother doesn't want to leave him. And the father apologizes for being stern. And then Robbie just leaves. Yeah, I think... This was Tom Hanks' best scene in the movie because he didn't have any dialogue. He just sadly and longingly looked out the window trying to kind of block out the bickering in the front seat. Yeah. I don't know. It was it was a good intro to a character in a terrible movie. Sure. Uh, JJ catches Robbie looking at the ad in the cafeteria and introduces himself, trying to get Robbie to be there fourth. You mean pounces on him? What? Pounces? Like, Tom Hanks' character guess, yeah. looks at the flyer for, like, a second. <laughs> like, he, his eyes could have just been passing over the different flyers. And JJ just strikes. Oh, are you looking uh, at our flyer? You want to be a player? Well, he's got major social issues, for sure. Absolutely. Hence, inviting JJ, or JJ inviting Robbie to the... Uh, to Bridget Bardot's birthday party. Well, yeah, I mean, first first they talk about mazes and monsters. Very briefly. Oh, this is a part that as, you know, someone who had played D&D in the past, do you carry your character level with you wherever you go? 
I'm ninth level. I'm pretty sure you're whatever level the campaign tells you you are. Yeah, I'd agree with I, that. I have no authority on this scenario. Like, I mean, we'll get more into it, I guess, when they first play. It just doesn't make sense. It's clear yeah. that the people who made this movie didn't know how the game that they're trying to make a PSA about works. Well, no, and also the book that this is based off of, uh, it's actually well documented that the author rushed to fictionalize the true events just to get it out there before somebody else did it. So there is no uh, no uh, studies done before writing this. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Robbie arrives at the most quiet party ever and gives Jay a bottle of wine, who responds, Oh, 1987, great year. Does he really? Yeah. I had to go back and check again. I'm like, yep. So the wine is uh, five years future. from yeah, from the future. Is that their ham-fisted way of trying to establish like what year it is? I have no idea. It makes no sense to me. I just thought it was JJ being weird. It do it doesn't make sense to include like it's pointless dialogue, and also from a meta context, it's like what 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 does it accomplish <laughs> and, and certainly certainly no no teenager is going to say that you can just leave the year out and like and just say oh this is a good year yeah it's the same impact of a nothing scene and how old are we supposed to believe these people are because they do I... later on kate does flat out say jj is 16 yeah right when you start college if your first year you're what like 18 ish yep, 18 18 around there this is in the states yes what's the drinking age uh it changed never attended an back. ivy league school but did they drink wine or oh this is no ivy league school okay nope. so so nope. then everybody should just be showing up with a mickey of the cheapest rum or vodka yeah. <laughs> but I mean, no, like, I know the drinking age changed uh, for a while in certain states. You could drink at 18. Sometimes uh, it was 19, and then eventually it was moved up to 21. So if the drinking so, age is at least 18, 19, how is JJ an expert on wine at 16? Uh, super rich family. Mother obviously drinks wine, is a socialite. I'm sure he's he's been privy to some bottles of wine in his past. Anyway, we're getting stuck on this, and we're not even 15 minutes into the runtime of this turd. Oh, I know. And do you know why? Because normally I'll watch the movie and then go back and rewatch it to make notes. And I got to this scene, and I was like, uh-uh. I just went back 15 minutes. Like, I'm just making notes as I go first time through because I'm not watching this a second time. Well, I guess I guess we could just kind of hurry it along a little then and say that this is where uh, Kate meets Tom Hanks' character that I've already forgot his name. Robbie. Robbie, thank you. And is totally turned on by the fact that he plays mazes and monsters. <laughs> Which leads to a scene of the group trying to peer pressure him. Not into underage drinking, not into drugs, but into playing mazes and monsters with them. Oh yeah, he has zero choice. Just like us. All right, move forward. Uh, the first game, we meet everybody's characters in a room with way too many candles. If you guys I... want to see a real awkward party introduction, listen to any of the first campaign episodes in uh, in the Knights and Nerds podcast. 
But as far as the character introductions went, I thought maybe this was the high point of the movie. It was, it was a high point, but at the same time, I couldn't get past all of the stuff that seemed odd to me about D&D. Like, Tom Hanks introducing his character and stating what gear and what level he is, it's like, do you really bring it from game to game with you? Is that how we're supposed to believe this goes? See, I've only ever played once, so I don't really know how that works. I just assumed no, because the movie sucks. But I, I had no idea if that was actually legit or not. I mean, if you're playing a game, the DM can decide where you start and what gear you start with. But you don't just carry it as a player from game to game to game like a save file. Okay. That makes sense. Maybe somebody who played in the 80s can can tell us if this was like a, uh, a norm that, that was acceptable at the time. But I mean, if I was like... If I had a, a player joining like mid stride and they showed up with their own character and their own gear and they were like, yeah, I totally have a ring of three wishes. I'd be like, mm. <laughs> disagree. <laughs> Do you have your proper certification for this character? Well, from that point, we are given a montage of studying, running and playing the game to the shitty theme song of the movie. <laughs> And we're still less than 20 minutes in. It's I know, meant... I wrote that. 20 minutes in and there's already a montage. Oh my god. It's meant to show that that Robbie and Kate are falling deeply, madly in love. Yeah. And uh, in the next scene, we're actually given some information that I completely forgot, which makes a lot more sense later in the movie. When Robbie tells Kate the story of his brother, Hall, or Hall Jr., who ran away in the middle of his birthday party, which was on Halloween. Um, he woke Robbie up uh, and asked him for all of his money to go to New York. And Robbie regrets it to this day. Uh, we're then treated to Robbie's nightmare where he's running after his brother, pleading him to stop. And probably one of the worst shots of the movie. Is this the one where it looks like they just have the camera going through a tube? Yeah. And he's running in place. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> Like I was, I'm so excited to just shit all over this movie, but it's almost embarrassing more than it is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like picking on a helpless kid. Yeah. I was gonna say there was a there's a there's a line from um, oh, what show is it from? But uh, the the exact line is it's like pistol whipping a blind kid. I can't remember what that's from. <laughs> a victimless crime, like punching someone in the dark. <laughs> All right, so we have the terrible dream sequence. Go! Uh, yeah. Followed by JJ and Daniel are painting their figures and sharing their dreams and woes. JJ wants to be an actor. Daniel wants to date a nice girl instead of being a man whore. Cool. Why should I care about you characters? Exactly. What reason have you given me to care? Like, yeah, we're getting some backstory, which they then address later on, but it has nothing to do with the plot, and you don't care about the characters. So why bother including it? JJ goes to Kate's dorm to see if she's down to play the game the next night. Robbie answers and says that they're busy that night, and JJ is seemingly dejected that Robbie answered the door and skulks away. Are we not okay. supposed to believe that they're friends? Yeah, that's what I thought originally, and I was did, like, how much time has passed? Did JJ not see the montage of them falling in love? Why is it a surprise to him that Robbie is opening the door? <laughs> he was too busy trying on different hats, I guess. It, it, I don't know. I honestly, this did make me feel bad for JJ. 
Because he is just a little kid, right? Yes, and... and I mean, I get that. And that's why at this point I thought J.J. was the main character. Because they, they played the focus on his relationship with his mom. They play up the fact that he is like a young genius who is a little bit like a fish out of water. And it's the very next scene where Kate and Robbie are talking where Kate says, like, I feel bad for him. He's 16. He must feel like alone. Right. Yeah. Then I'm like, okay, JJ is supposed to be the character. And if I'm not mistaken, the character that actually, or the person, I apologize, that actually did kill themselves, that this is somewhat based on was Mm -hmm. a young genius in school who, who killed himself. So at this point I'm like, okay, JJ is the main character. And then they just, Especially when you look at the fact that uh, JJ, we have seen the doorman of his house in New York. We have met his mother. We have seen the inside of his house. We have seen his room. We know his bird. We've seen the inside of his dorm room. We know his age, which we don't know about the others. We know his IQ, which we don't know about the others. We know that he's having a hard time socially because of his age. Like, what do we know about the other characters? Next to nothing. Like, we know so much about J.J. How is he not the main character of this? No idea. Perfect. So J.J.'s in his room talking to his bird, Merlin. He says he should just drive his motorbike into the side of the dorm, but that's too ordinary. And states that no grad university student has ever committed suicide. He wants to be remembered. And there's this one quote that crushed me. The only real emotion of the movie. Saying, boy genius suicides in caverns. They'd talk about it forever. Did nobody else got weight from that? I wrote down, uh, no Grant University student ever commit commits suicide, the young man said to his bird. That's what I wrote in my notes. I wrote grad. I meant to write Grant. That makes so much more sense. But yeah, like, and then we get even more character development through JJ there. Right now we know he's he's not only suicidal, but just craving the attention. Yeah. Well... Let's yeah, put that on the back burner because Robbie surprises Kate with a double bed so they can live together. It does not go well. <laughs> it does not go well. <laughs> and I thought, honestly, I thought Robbie bought the bed and like switched out Kate's bed with the double bed. I completely didn't even notice it was his dorm room. I was like, wow, that's a really ballsy move right there, dude. I mean, they fell deeply, madly in love during a montage. They did. There was a lot of running. In that montage. Which is a little odd because later when Robbie is the one that pushes away her advances, you get the feeling like this is probably something Kate wanted. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, do you do you bring your own bed to a university dorm? Like, aren't they already there? I thought so. <laughs> yep. Like, this makes me kind of hate Robbie because it's like... You know, you have these school supply beds and you're just like this silver spooner who's like, oh, I want a bigger bed. <laughs> he might even get Kate in trouble. Like, JJ's going to be real jealous now. Those dorm rooms have beds already there for specific reasons, like fire hazards. You can't just put another bed in there. Kate could get in trouble. She could get kicked out. You're putting way too much humorous thought into this movie. Well, I mean, any thought being put into this movie is more than they put into it when they made it. That's <laughs> definitely it, man. Because even the next scene where JJ breaks into the caverns and lights a torch, that's the scene. Because we had to fade out and go to commercial. Cool. C- completely unnecessary. Nobody is thinking. Like, I, I, I would love to see the script for this. Nope. It would make no sense whatsoever. All right. Well, JJ goes to the caverns. 
Yep. Well, game time. JJ intentionally kills his character and then poses the idea of playing a newer version of the game, Mazes and Monsters in the Caverns. All right. For, first, first of all, first of all, who gets killed off without even a saving throw? Come on. Well, I mean, you know what? There was uh, this. Th- I don't know if they were. You know what? I'm. Let me rephrase. I was going to say I don't know if they were trying to do like a little nod to the Tomb of Horrors, which was a notoriously evil uh, dungeon that uh, I think Gary Gygax himself may have written, where it was just full of like auto kill traps and just nonsense that that like players had vir- virtually no chance of, of of passing. Tim, but. I don't think there is any sort of background knowledge to this at all. Exactly. Um, so I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm sure it was not a deliberate nod to any sort of D and D lore. You're giving them but, way, way too much credit if you think that any of this was a nod deliberate to anything. But yeah, if you want to hear some like real, real fuckery, like where where a DM just murders an entire party mercilessly, like some stuff. Like some traps would like immediately knock out a party and then something comes along and kills them. So the DM would just be like, okay, you're all unconscious and you die. And like, that's all the explanation that the players would get. That's, that's how merciless the tomb of horrors is. Um, I, I recommend like going and listening to a video on like, actually like all of the traps and how it would actually be navigated. And you will understand like the virtual impossibility of, of winning that dungeon without knowing in advance exactly what you're supposed to do. Why would anybody do that? Nothing? I don't know. Yeah, all right. I I, I, I think that, again, this definitely wasn't a deliberate nod to anything. But I mean... No, but I, I did... You know what? I was wanting, like, once they were going into the caves, I was like, how awesome would it be if this just turned into the descent right now and a bunch of albino <laughs> troglodytes just, like, rushed out of the darkness and ripped these assholes apart? It's possible, but I mean... In, like going back to the scene where JJ deliberately kills himself, he's flat out told by I think they're called maze masters in this. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It could be treasure or it could be a trap. That's, I mean, pretty good warning. I'm gonna assume it's a trap. Mm, I don't know about you guys. I keep all my treasure in an open pit. Yeah, <laughs> gem encrusted spikes. I believe is what he said. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Deadly and expensive. <laughs> These are Swarovski spikes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I did not like this scene because it was just the shittiest way to kill off your character. It also was the shittiest way to like convince everybody to start a new game in the caverns. Well, character's dead. Uh, I've explored all the caverns. It's a natural setting for the game. Everyone agrees. You know what else would have worked? Hey, guys, you want to start a new game in the caverns? Yeah. You don't need to kill off your character in such a shitty scene like that. Well, I think he had to, to um, because they were sort of on the fence as to whether or not they should continue the campaign at all without his character in it. Um, but, yeah, a little unnecessary. But uh, I think he was. it was his way of like manipulating the group into starting a new game with his as the the, the maze master. I guess I'm reading too much into this. Uh, ben, move on. Move on. All right. Well, JJ arranges to get a skeleton from the school for part of his game. And then we get Whoa, night. whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hold on. What? Right after telling them 
we can't tell anybody about this. Mm-hmm. He goes and tells the guy that he's going to get the skeleton from why he needs the skeleton. Does he say where, though, or just he needs it for his game? Um, no, he tells him. He, oh, he okay. tells him. He just flat out tells him. And this is, it's like literally scene to scene cut. We can't tell anyone. And then it goes to this conversation where he tells someone. And see, I thought this was going to be, I thought this was going to have some ramifications later with like, okay, we know at the beginning that the police get involved uh, at some point. And then he's, he's sort of leaving this trail of breadcrumbs to, it's like, it's, it's them that were in the caverns. I was like, okay, so this is going to have some, have some ramifications for, for everybody in the group. But we, we will later learn that no, there's none. No. (laughs) At night. Everyone sneaks out of the dorms in full costume, and pile indicates car and go to the caves. Which they took from the drama club. Yeah. The caves have been set up for the game, lit torches around the main chamber. Somehow the group loses JJ, then his voice rings out saying he will guide the players. Next, he guides the players. Then everyone splits up. Which is a great thing to do when it's been established that people have already gotten lost in the caves. Yeah, man. But this this is also the first time we see that Robbie has a bit of a mental break and thinks that a monster is actually after him, but he, quote, kills it. So I I had a lot of problems with this because, yeah, he... So what's happening is that they they split the party, which you're not even supposed to do when you're just playing around a table. It's fucking stupid, okay? You don't split the party in real life when you're in caves where you know people have been lost. <laughs> so automatically, any sympathy that you have with these characters, out the window. Gone. Yeah. And... and Part so, yeah. So um, JJ is maze mastering on his own, and he rolls dice, and he declares that there's a monster encounter, and he just yells out "monster," <laughs> and this causes Robbie to immediately hallucinate, which <laughs> uh, is way out of left field, uh, unless yeah. JJ has some kind of like psychic abilities that he's just projecting these, like uh, if he's casting like major illusion. Uh, at Robbie, but uh, what I thought was a real like missed opportunity here, and I thought that like they that they were trying for this and just forgot about it was uh, JJ had said you have to find these special herbs, and I thought that maybe they were going to find like these mushrooms and somehow like the mushrooms were going to have some kind of psychotropic effect on Robbie, and that's what caused him to hallucinate, and that would lead to to his further mental break. But no, none of that. Yeah, the mushrooms would make perfect sense because with Robbie, we don't really know exactly what his history with the game is. All we know is that he played too much of it and was kicked out of his other school. So if he was getting way too involved to this extent, had they just mentioned something about that, I would have almost no problems with this scene. I would actually feel really bad because like, oh no, it's happening again. All we know now is that he used to play this game a lot and now he's just hallucinating. I don't know much about how like schizophrenia and stuff works, but watching it as somebody who's uneducated in it, I was just confused as what the actual trigger was for his hallucinations and why they weren't taking place earlier. Was it perhaps the fear of the caverns, the claustrophobia? Like they just it just happens and you're supposed to just accept it. Yeah, and like Robbie seemed to be into the game but not so into the game that he would just hallucinate monsters. A very 
very good looking monster. This was Straight probably the where the entire fucking ripped. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the budget of the movie went is to this monster. Oh man. And then you get that one quote from Kate that I was like, yeah, wait, I just bash you over the head with that line. The most frightening monsters are the ones that exist in our minds. Yeah, that was that was very heavy handed. And so what I'm gonna do one day um, is invent a computer monitor that is sort of like made out of an elastic material, like a trampoline, so that you can punch it repeatedly and it won't break. Uh, I really wish I had that uh, <laughs> when I was watching, like at this scene, so I could just punch the screen over and over again until my hand broke. <laughs> okay, how far into the movie are we now, Ben? Uh, I didn't timestamp it, but not far enough. Nine years. <laughs> Nine years. <laughs> All right. Well, it's night. Robbie's having a dream that his character has gained a level and is told that he must be pious not only in the game, but in life as well. And it must be celibate. He takes the dream's <laughs> advice and breaks up with Kate, saying that he loves her, will always love her, but he can't touch her anymore. Whoa, Tom Hanks. It's like, has he just like, he's fully gone at this point, right? But he's he's not I, I don't know because he's he's still he's not fully gone into the character of Pardue yet. He's not no. like talking as his character yet. Also, I wonder, like, could he still use Mage Hand and get some action that way? Like, is that cheating? <laughs> uh, old worker. Maybe if him. you name it. Uh, and this, like, following up from this scene, just makes you not like two of the four main cast members where it's Daniel and Kate at a bar talking about her failed relationships. And then they just start flirting unabashedly flirting. It feels like it's supposed to be some sort of time jump. I have a problem with their time jumps in this movie. I'll get to another one in a second, but yes, continue. Uh, you might have the same one as me, but yeah. like she, she talks about it like it was in the past. And she even says like, we're over it now. We're just good yeah. friends. Like it makes it feel like there's been a time jump, or maybe it wouldn't be so bad that they start flirting, but they don't there's, make the time jumps very clear at all. There is no sense of time in this movie. It just feels like one scene flows into the other in real time. Well, the next one is probably the worst that I think you're going to get to. Yeah. Well, after this bar, quick bar scene, we get Robbie's other dream, where he's told he must find the secret city under the earth. <clears throat> But then, after that, we get Kate, who's driving back from the bar, and yet passes Daniel on his bike going the opposite direction? Were they not just both at the bar? This is supposedly the same night. I don't know. Well, she pulls a U-turn and follows him to the caves, goes inside and spends a ridiculous amount of time looking for him, and gets lost. Daniel hears her pleas for help and gets her to fall voice eventually finding each other they go back to kate's car and daniel explains that he went to the caves to find where jj hid the treasure it's become a lot more than a game for him he says and the two kiss then he compares himself to a vulcan and she says he's more of the tin man and then they make out again oh, so many things wrong with this because like like why why does it become so much more of a game to him like he says that and then there's and then there's nothing else in the movie at all to, to demonstrate that that's true. Uh, 
I mean, if 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 it's become much more than a game to anyone, it's obviously Robbie. But uh, if Kate says that they're good friends now, she doesn't know that he's fucking backsliding into this alternate personality that he's got. And then when they're making out, she's like, I was so afraid to get involved with you because you're so attractive. And I was like, who wrote this? Like, has this person ever like talked to a member of the opposite sex? No, (laughs) definitely not. It is one of the clunkiest parts of this movie. And, like, the dialogue, first of all, makes zero sense. Uh, The actions make zero sense. We know that you can get lost in the caves. You don't have to show us after telling us. Um, We know there's stuff going on with Daniel and Kate. We already saw it. We don't need awkwardness in a car explaining it even more. Like, it's just telling us things that we've already been told or shown previously. I mean, if there's one thing that this movie does well, it's unnecessary scenes. Yeah. Like just filling up time, just like adding on minutes upon minutes to this interminable runtime. Got to yeah. pad that runtime. Why? Uh, because. Oh my god, <laughs> I I would rather have sat there at at what at nine o'clock on a Tuesday night and watched the commercials than the movie. Anyway, Speaking, moving on. No, no, hold on. No, Speaking, I don't want to hold on. Speaking of commercials, why don't we play that commercial that we play every week from our good friend Tim. Knights and Nerds is not just an actual play D&D podcast with an original campaign being played by a group of friends who tolerate each other. It's also a podcast where I, the Dungeon Master, talk about how I'm adapting to the choices the players make, as well as revealing to you, the audience, the complex story and deadly twists that I have in store for my players. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or at knightsandnerds.com. And we're back. <laughs> Tim. Well, guess what, guys? It's, it's Halloween now, apparently. And we get another party at JJ's, where uh, Robbie's not exactly having a time and leaves. Starts hearing voices telling him, you are now ready to find me. He leaves the dorm and walks out into the night. Well, hang on. Hang on. I, I want to pause here for a sec for, for, for a few reasons, because like for, for a guy who's having trouble fitting in, JJ certainly does throw some banger parties. Right. They're like, the most boring parties I have ever seen. It's more like just cram people into a room and see if they can find their way out. Yeah. Yeah. Definite fire hazard. I mean, that double bed's going to be a problem. Um, but uh if, like everybody seems to show up and everybody's having a good time. It's not like he throws duds. Uh, he's a real, you know, he's a real, uh, he's a real socialite. He's, he's rubbing el- uh, elbows with people and having a good time. But Tom Hank, or sorry, Robbie is in the scene dressed up in his priest robes. And, uh, and then when Frankenstein shows up, I was like, okay, this is going to be awesome because as, as a cleric, he's definitely going to like try to turn undead on Frankenstein. Um, which is an ability that, that clerics have where they can sort of rebuke any undead. It's it's a divine power that they have and quite effective. Um, and I thought that that was going to be like um, a real point where the friend group sees that Robbie is, is kind of struggling. But no, he, as a holy man, he really gives Frankenstein a pass, which I was like, Robbie, come on, Pardue, get your shit together. Also, his his priest robes, his cleric robes seem to really just be a blanket. It looked like just a blanket draped over his head. Man, Tim, you put a lot of thought into this. 
Uh, Somebody had to. I mean, I I was horribly offended by this movie. I can only imagine how Tim feels. I had two things that came to my mind in this scene. One, JJ's finally not wearing a hat Halloween night when maybe it would have worked the most to wear a hat. I don't know. Maybe not wearing a hat is his costume. Maybe. Maybe. And the other part I had is, is this now the following year or is this the first Halloween after the school year started? I have no idea. Because if it's the first Halloween since the school year started, we're to believe that in that time, Robbie and Kate fell in love, they broke up, she got together with Handsome Guy, whatever his name is, Robbie lost his... Like, all of this happened in that span? I don't know about that. Well, I just looked up a certain birthday of Bridget Bardot, which is September 28th, 1934 so we can assume that maybe if this is the same year then kate got over robbie real quick how does how does how do these events happen so quickly in the in the movie timeline and yet it feels like it is the following year (laughs) it really does oh my god this is awful but if it is the following year like there's no summer break or anything like it's yep i'm done trying to figure it out move on although also yeah the halloween party just has muzak i'm assuming because they couldn't get the rights to any actual music how badly did you want the theme song to be playing at the party (laughs) (laughs) they just turned the pace up (laughs) Uh, um i do have to say there is an interesting little bit of thought when it comes to dates in this because if everybody was just getting back to school and Bardo's birthday was the end of September. It actually makes sense for him to have that birthday party. And that gives this movie way more thought than I wanted to. But good good job, writer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, was, I wasn't looking for uh, agreement. All right, Let's moving see. forward. Also, like, this is the part uh, that, I, uh, that I completely ignored because I missed the line of dialogue at the beginning where Tom Hanks uh, was saying that his brother left in the middle of a Halloween party, which was his brother's birthday. So obviously that's what's really kind of setting him off on top of his, I guess, schizophrenia. So it's the next day. Daniel goes to see Robbie and finds his room empty, his wallet on the dresser. No one has seen him since the night before. Kate phones his mom looking for him. The mother seems shocked and asks if he skipped class before, and Kate hangs up. I was like, holy shit, finally something interesting happening. We might have some insight as to what happened to Robbie in the past. Not also point out that during that phone call, the mother's already drinking. Oh, yeah. And it still feels like it's morning. <laughs> well, back in Robbie's room, Daniel, Kate, and JJ start rooting through Robbie's things. Daniel finds the map that Robbie's been making. And they decide to look for him at the caves. No luck there. They decide to remove everything they put in the caves. This is the beginning of what really shocked me in the movie. And it's the cover-up begins here. <laughs> this this just makes you hate everybody They're they more... try to file a police report and the cop says no dice they pitch the idea that he might be lost in the caves without admitting they've been spending time there they're more now concerned we... covering up that they play mazes and monsters than finding their friend yeah completely they don't want to get blamed for it and then we get another one of your classic time jumps here Sandra because all of a sudden after they've been told 
you can't file the report. Now there's an investigator asking JJ questions. Like, so now they can file a missing person report. How long has it been? Who hired the investigator? I don't know. JJ lies about how much they play the game, covering up the frequency they play and who else is involved. Kate lies too. The detective thinks that whoever Robbie was playing with the game with got too wrapped up in it and killed him. <laughs> that is the most like, logical jump. <laughs> and th this is where the line comes in. He says, whoa, that's pretty far out, man. He says, well, Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. I laughed out loud at that part. <laughs> but I wonder does... if a pr like a primitive computer wrote this dialogue. <laughs> he does also ask pertinent questions like, is Robbie a doper? Uppers, yep. downers? Zingers, what? bangers. What does that matter? Doodads. Go find them. <laughs> Doodads. <laughs> yeah, I just have I just have in my notes worst cop ever. Terrible. I don't and know. This this goes this reinforces the idea that all the actual adults in this movie are just so stupid. Like, uh, they're just they're just pointless and and completely hapless because. Like, you go to the police, please, oh, we can't file a police report yet. Oh, Robbie's friend probably killed him. And then they go to the police uh, later, um, and the, and he's like, well, to be honest with you, and he was, like, shockingly candid, giving them an <laughs> update on the on the progress of the investigation. He's like, to be honest, we don't have idea, one, where your friend is. If he's in those caves, caves he's definitely dead. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I, I have written that... Uh... Uh, the three believe that something terrible has actually happened to him. Uh, JJ's got a detailed map of the caves. Then we get the beginning of the movie again. The three pull up in Kate's car, and JJ leaves the map under the wiper blades of the detective's car. Can and I? And then, yeah, I, hold I on. had the next day the kids go to the police station for an update. Nobody knows anything. Detective admits they have no idea where Robbie is or if they ever will. And then we get a commercial break. Can Can I really quickly just jump back to when uh, JJ says he has the map of the caverns? Sure. And they say, I thought you hid everything. He's like, oh, but the map was so good I kept it. It's like, do you guys know what the definition of hid is? Yeah. Did you mean destroy? It's That's probably what they should have said. But at that point, I think it was... What the hell is the guy's name, the handsome guy? Dylan? Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's the like... handsome guy. Because she says he's too handsome to date. But Daniel is like... I thought you hid it all. Yep. So I will retrieve it from my hiding place. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that he just pulled it out from under his bed. It was like, that's not really hidden. Yeah, it was a crappy hiding place. But yeah. yeah. But he also does pull it out from under the bed, saying that he kept just the map because it was so nice. So even yeah. hiding it under his bed, that was the one that he didn't hide under his bed. Well, are you guys ready for a series of assumptions? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, is this is this the news broadcast? No, no. This is JJ saying that if Robbie thinks he's Pardue, then the map was made by Pardue, so the answer must be in the map. Kate realizes that the Great Hall isn't a place; it's a person, Robbie's brother. Okay. This I mean, whole conversation they had, the underlying point, and I think even Kate says it, is uh. When they're saying, like, he's Pardue now, she's like, well, if you can think of a more logical explanation, I'd like to hear it. It's like, this is your most logical explanation? <laughs> I 
have we have we passed like the uh the, the news report yet i don't know i i had a couple of things about that i don't know if uh, if when the uh audio clip is going to go in um i'm not sure yeah what's where at what point was the news report i must be missing it i don't know i think we might have moved past it because because i think they go into the police station after anyways uh just talk about about, it about that about about the police at the cave i just wanted to to make a quick note that he says when he says um hang on uh the news reporter says uh people deal with problems in their lives by acting them out in the game okay. and i'm like wow that is actually the plot synopsis of an episode of the it crowd called jen the fredo which you should <laughs> definitely watch where they play a game of dungeons and dragons to help out one of the characters with a recent breakup uh, that is a, an amazing episode. But also, when the cop says a, a game of mazes and monsters got out of hand, to me that means somebody got too baked. Um, yeah. Although one time I did get too drunk while dungeon mastering and I passed out. You can ask Candace about it. But uh, <laughs> like usually D&D &D games don't get so out of hand that the cops need to be called. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> okay. Well, we have uh, Robbie wandering the streets of New York at night. Two thugs try to mug him and he takes off, only end up in a dead end. Robbie thinks one of the thugs is a monster and tries to use a spell on him. Spell doesn't work, so he pulls out his dagger and kills the monster, while in reality having stabbed the thug with a pocket knife. Okay. Realizing, yeah. Okay. All right. First of all, amazing effects showing what Robbie is seeing as they cut back and forth between the monster and the thug. Absolutely world-class right there. The problem oh. I had with this scene is that when... Oh, this scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when When he stabs the thug, it's more like the thug lunged himself onto the dagger. Thug rolled a nat one. If you go back and watch the scene, there isn't really a scuffle. The thug just goes towards him... And essentially impales himself on the dagger. Obviously, you've never stabbed a lizard man in New York before. And then the guy is still standing up when we last see him. I was confused because, like, we know that he possesses his little blade, right, that he had in the caves. But it's when, when he gets out of the alley, it's a it's a pocket knife. I'm like, why? Why would they bother making that change? Like, why not? Like, if he think, why wouldn't he just take his little uh like little toy short sword with him. Maybe it's actually metal, but I don't know. I just I didn't see the point of that little discrepancy. Either way, yeah. he he runs away from committing murder, even though the last yeah. thing he saw allegedly, was, allegedly, the guy's still the guy's still standing up. Um, I thought he was down. No, go back and watch it. I had to even rewind it myself. Uh, yeah. I sh I showed Alex this scene so that we could have a laugh at it. And the last time we see the thug, he's still, like, picking himself up. Like, he might have been stabbed in a non-vital area. He could have survived. But Tom Hanks runs away to find a phone. Yeah, where he calls Kate, tells her he's in New York, and doesn't remember how he got there. There's blood on his knife and hands, and he thinks he might have killed somebody. Kate tells him to go to JJ's mom's house and wait for them. He says, I think I killed someone immediately I I after yeah. without taking a breath says, I know I killed someone. This yeah. might have been his worst acting of his career. No, that's the end of the movie. Okay, then. 
it's now day. Robbie's hallucinating that the that two people are the thugs after him and runs into the subway. Goes through a door and into the maintenance tunnels, thinking they're a maze. Down there, he encounters a homeless man and introduces himself as his character. The homeless man says he's the king of France, and Robbie believes him, which I thought was kind of funny. I think uh, the, I think the homeless man might be uh, tied right now with Merlin for best actor in this movie. Could very well be. <laughs> Definitely the most seasoned actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you give it to the uh, artificial skeleton? <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing's name? Was like Blair or something? I mean, he nailed his cues. Like, he was on point. <laughs> Old flashlight mouth. <laughs> uh, Robbie seems to think that the subway train is a giant dragon guarding the treasure in the maze. He asks the, uh, the homeless man for directions to the Great Hall or the Two Towers. The homeless man agrees. Yeah, nothing to say. Move on. Nothing to say. Nope. The kids arrive at JJ's but are told Robbie never showed up. We are treated to another makeover of JJ's room. They figure out that the Two Towers is actually the World Trade Center, and the Great Hall is death. They go did, to find him. Did Robbie even know where JJ's house is? Did they give him directions, or had he been there before? No, Kate gave him directions. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, he actually repeated them, and I think that he just got spooked and ran into the uh, the tunnel when he saw, or hallucinated the two, uh, two people as being the two thugs. Awesome. At the World Trade Center, they play Elevator Chase, trying to catch Robbie. This is where the Benny oh Hill my God. song should oh have come in. <laughs> okay, uh, I so just... can I just break this down? Okay, so they they get there. The, the friend group gets there before Robbie. And they go up the escalator. And it shows them going up the escalator to the uh, observation deck. And yeah. they walk around. And they're like, he's not here. And this point, where it would make sense to split the party, they don't do it. Uh, so they're like, okay, let's go back down. Maybe he's in the lobby. And it shows them going back down into the lobby. They pass Robbie on the escalator. He's right beside them. It shows Robbie going up. They get down to the lobby. They look up. They see Robbie. They go back up in the elevator. And I'm just, I'm just, I am incensed at this point. I am totally enraged. Like, why didn't they just get there in the lobby? They look up. They see Robbie. They go up to after him. Why all this fucking back and forth like in the escalator or sorry they get into the elevator and there's like people cut there they're waiting impatiently to get to the top people are walking in they're like okay come on come on come on come on, come on. they get to the, i'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's pure scooby-doo running through the different doorways in the like in live action it's so hard to watch and so pointless and so stupid and you've already suffered over an hour of this movie just to see this play out on screen. It's on. I was I was very close to losing my temper there. I apologize. No, no, I understand. I totally understand. I'm surprisingly calm right now. I think it's just breathing exercises because when I thought about talking about this movie today, I was living. I'm worried. <laughs> well, what? they find Robbie on the roof, ready to jump and join the Great Hall. They communicate with Robbie as their characters and bring him back to three months later. Are you boys ready for this? Wait, hang on. Hang on one sec. Um, they, they, to get to that point, they go through a turnstile where there's a security guard who just is standing there. I'm wondering like what, if they know that their friend is up here and is potentially going to jump off the roof and might have killed somebody and might have killed. Yeah. Might have killed somebody like, when he got to the ground, um, 
why wouldn't they t like alert the security guard? Be like, hey, there is a, a mentally disturbed individual here who needs help. Uh, I mean, maybe based on their experience with the police, with the investigation, they've correctly assumed that all adults in this world are fucking pointless. Um, these security guards are clearly pointless as the roof is closed and an alarm goes off as they open the door to go up there. And yet still nobody but the three of them is there to stop Robbie. I, I think they corrected this when they go through the second set of uh, those doors. But the first door is when they open them and the alarm goes off. The alarm just stops as soon as the door closes again. <laughs> like, Well, I guess it's not, not that much of an emergency. Like, nobody would have checked. Like, oh, the roof is closed today. The alarm that's connected to the door. Maybe it was the wind. Oh, it's just, yeah, that's that's NPC logic in Skyrim. Like, hello, is someone there? Oh, and then the noise God. stops like, oh, it's probably just the wind. But these were like, oh, it's probably just some kids playing mazes and monsters. It's probably mm -hmm. nothing. It's probably just some kids trying to stop their friend from jumping off the roof. It's fine. I'm sure they have it. Yeah. All right, so three months later. Kate's writing her novel about how they conquered their fears by playing the game. JJ's in theater arts and uh, the theater arts director's program, sorry. Uh, Daniel's in the computer business. The three of them are driving to visit Robbie. When they arrive, Robbie's mother greets them and lets them know she doesn't blame them for anything that has happened. They go to the backyard and are ecstatic to see him, only to find that Robbie's mind has fully given in to his character Pardue. Seeing what has happened to their friend, they play the game again for one last time. Okay. Now, one last... Does that mean after they play this game, they're like, fuck you, Robbie, we're out. <laughs> and just never go back to talk to him again? Maybe. My issue is that it's three months later. The first time we actually get, like, some sort of time reference? So, Robbie disappeared at the Halloween party... We can't assume he was gone for too long before they found him. Maybe a week if we're being generous. And then three months later. Three months Should it, later. Shouldn't it be January? <laughs> that looks like January in New York State to me, man. <laughs> First of all, it should be January. But also, should they still be in school? Like, Daniel's already working in software? Kate's found enough time to write her novel. JJ's gone to the to the theater program? What, midterm transfer? Like I guess. This happened in three months. This is three months. I'm just stoked that Kate actually didn't take her mother's advice of using her imagination book based on life experience through using your imagination. Yeah. And then I think the and I'm I might be wrong on this. But I feel like when they're talking to Robbie's mom, she says something like He's getting better, or he might be ready to come home soon. Yeah, and then I found when they that weird, and then when they go find him, he's completely gone. Not in a state that I would think he's almost ready for release. No, no, definitely not ready for release. I love how they don't mention the murder anymore, but I guess it was eighty-two New York, like that has happened all the time. And then, and then, the best part of the movie happens. The theme song. Do, 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 do. The credits roll, and it's <sighs> over. Over. The the ending of this movie was perhaps the most infuriating part, because 
you get the idea that they have no idea, like that the filmmakers have no idea what they're trying to say. Uh, no. Because like they're, they're certainly, I, I don't know if they're trying to blame the game. Like they, they don't really delve too much into that. Like they don't land on that hard enough for me to think that they're playing the game, blaming the game for Robbie's condition. And certainly they don't, they don't treat like the mental health issue with any form of seriousness. And there's no, there's no comeuppance for, for the parents. Like the mother admits he was fragile when he went to school. Like if you knew that he was fragile and, and like it, it recontextualizes their earlier comments about playing the game too much. Like if he was sort of losing himself to his character, why on earth would you send him to like, send him away to a school when he needs help? So they don't treat mental illness with any sort of seriousness, which is which is infuriating. And then the friends, there's no comeuppance for them either. There's no like aside from the fact that they lose Robbie as a friend, but they they don't seem too troubled by that because they they're all doing great at they're the doing end. Great. Like yeah. they're, I they thought that this was gonna be like a happy them. ending when they're in, all in the car. Like oh, I guess everything works out great. And then they get to him. They're like oh shit, it's Pardue. And then, and then they indulge in this fantasy with him that they know is harmful. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and also the the idea that in the three months, no one's reached out to check on see how, to see how he's doing. They just assume he's gotten better. Couldn't like, they what have, do they think they're going to walk into? Couldn't they have at least tried to make it seem, at the very least, that maybe JJ, who was suicidal earlier in the movie. Maybe seeing Robbie and what he went through learn to value and appreciate life. Something. Some some purpose to this. Anything. Kate refers to seeing seeing Robbie as the death of hope. So it's it's almost like they're they're closing the book on Robbie altogether. That's the sense that I got. Yeah, me too. I felt like they were just like, well, Robbie's done for, so let's move on with our different successes. Our different better lives that have all improved since he went insane and killed someone yeah nobody learns anything in this and no. i firmly believe that everyone involved with this movie owes owes anyone who's seen it a heartfelt apology <laughs> well seriously when you talk about the characters like kate wanted to be a, a writer she became a writer jj wanted to be an actor or a director so he's in the director's program he just does it Daniel always wanted to be in some aspect of computers. He does it. Yeah, like, there's no struggle for any of them, except for Robbie, who is completely aimless. All he had to do was try and, like, stick to his books and studies. Everybody in the end comes out on top, except for Robbie. And, like, de definitely not the audience. The audience is the worst off. So I decided to look up, see, like, the, what the director, Stephen Stern, had done. He didn't even care about this movie. He did four other movies, made-for-TV movies, this year. So 1982, five movies out. He's not paying any attention. He's like, get the shot, get the shot, get the shot. We're done. Good. All right, on to the next one. Well, clearly this was meant to just scare people away from Dungeons & Dragons. Like, yeah. they put the focus that Robbie is completely gone because of playing Mazes and Monsters. Not taking into account the fact that, like, his brother's death was far more traumatic. The yeah. fact that his parents essentially abandoned him at school when they knew that maybe they should keep a closer eye on him, not a further one. Like, 
but let's blame D&D. Again, like Tim said early on, like we're at the height of the satanic panic here. It's not just D&D, it's also like heavy metal and stuff like that. People are just hopping on a current trend and trying to peddle their wares. Unfortunately, it was a really shitty TV adaptation of a really terrible book based off of a horrible, horrible life event. Like, this is exploitation to its fullest. Read. All right. But at least we got to watch Tom Hanks for a while, right, guys? How did he still have a career after this? How um, how did people know. be like, you know what? I want to hire that guy still. Well, maybe it's because it was at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday and CBS realized the dud they had and just tried to bury it when nobody was watching. Like, I, in general, love Tom Hanks as an actor. Yeah, me I too. cannot believe that I just watched him do this. No. Awful. I, I don't know. Like, we did, we talked about The Burbs not that long ago. And, like, I'm not the biggest Tom Hanks fan, but, like, he carried that movie. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, I think you could have recast him in it, but, like, he wasn't a detriment to the movie where I feel like his face was in this movie, but the talent was not. Hmm. Is there anything anybody else wants to talk about this movie? Uh, I'm super annoyed you made me watch it. If that helps, yeah. You were you were excited to watch it, man. Were you excited? Did you know it was this bad? Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, I so hadn't. T- Tim, he knowingly put us through that. Yeah, Sandra, you're you're lucky we're not in person right now. Otherwise, well... I would I would come at you with everything I've got. <laughs> That's it was so bad, man. And not like I can sit here and really make fun of it too much. Uh, it's just, it's a failure of a movie. Oh, it's terrible. I don't think anybody should ever watch this movie. No, I, I, mean, was, I, I, the, I really want to make fun of it, and I just can't. It's just, it, it it's awful. Yeah, there, there was one last thing that I that I had sort of written down. I was like, I don't understand, um, how 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 Robbie ended up being just having completely disassociated from from himself when when on the roof he sort of has this moment of clarity where he's like what am i doing here you guys and like he he kind of comes back to himself for a moment but then then they then they backtrack on that i was really confused yeah same it's like they didn't they decided not to get him any help and they're like let's just uh reinforce this delusion and see what happens we'll give him a giant yard to wander around and Let's see what Pardue does when you let him uh, unleash. It's like there's no clinical help whatsoever. Like you, I would have expected him to be like in the backyard talking with like a psychiatrist or something. But they had to wait until that discussion was, you know, over before they could go talk to their friend, who I guess isn't their friend anymore. I don't know if they're going to abandon him. But it seems like he didn't get any help. They're just like, if we leave him on his own, everything will be fine with time. Which is a very dangerous stance to take when it comes to mental health. Is that too serious for you guys? Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, it kind of like embodies the. I, I don't know what the attitudes towards mental health and mental help were like in 1982, but it seems like I would assume, like even even nowadays, there's a lot of stigma around it, and mm-hmm. so 40 years ago, almost, I can imagine that it's probably much worse, and so. It, it's sort of like an out of sight, out of mind, uh, meant, like uh, approach to it, where it's like you know we just don't sort of we just sort of don't talk about that. Yeah. Do we have a pill yet that fixes people that like fantasy games? 
Uh, I don't know. Sandro, I'm very unimpressed. So, obviously, we don't have any sort of financial numbers. It was a made-for-TV movie. Uh, On IMDb, it has a 4.1 out of 10. What? Yep. (laughs) And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an audience score of 19%. 19. That's still too generous. I I think I think the absolute best thing to do at this point would just be to put this one to bed. I don't think anybody wants to dwell on or think about this movie any longer. Never again. Uh, before we get into our, our signing out, Tim, do you want to let everybody know again who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so thanks again for having me on this time. Uh, I guess uh, uh, <laughs> you can you can find like I'm the the host of the, one of the two Dungeon Masters of the Knights and Nerds podcast. Uh, um, we're at Knights and Nerds on Twitter and Instagram, KnightsandNerds.com. You can get us pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Um, yeah, give us a listen if you want an actually. I don't. I don't. I don't want to toot my own horn here, but. A not objectionable experience with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, uh, buddy. I'd like to also just throw out your books, if that's okay. Sure, throw uh, them out. That's where long. <laughs> <laughs> Bad choice of wording. But if you head to Amazon, you can find uh, his uh, War of Histories trilogy um, on. I guess an ebook, right? That's correct. Uh, it's only what six, seven dollars for the trilogy. It's great price. And much better written than anything anything that had anything to do with this. I mean, that's a low bar, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I tried to make it sound better and partway through realized, no, his books are good. And this is absolutely not the best way to sell it. But definitely check out, <laughs> check out his books. They're good. All right, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, and thanks, man. Earlier in the episode, I said I was worried. And the reason that I'm worried is because I'm afraid of retribution due to the fact that (laughs) Ben had instilled a new idea that our guest would be the one that would pick our next movie for the following week. So all of the power is in your hands, and I don't know how how generous you want to feel at this point. But I got to remember, if you're punishing Sandra, you're punishing me too, man. (laughs) Right, yes. Well, I've, I've, I've... I've historically been a big proponent of enlightened despotism, so I'm going to be uh, tough but fair. Uh, so the next movie that you'll watch is 2013's Coherence, a mystery sci-fi done on a very low budget. It takes place at a dinner party, and I would uh, I, I'd say like I actually really really like this film a lot. Uh, it's it's clever, it it's, and I, I don't want to give too much away because. Uh, trying to describe the plot too much will sort of give away some really interesting revelations like as the film opens up. So uh, I'm, I'm really curious and interested to see what your, your takes are on it. Amir is bringing Laurie to dinner. Amir is a total jackass. Everyone else still not have service. I got zero. On the news, you know, they're talking about the comet. Yeah, yeah. Wheeler's comet. After it passed, people get lost. They would end up in the wrong home. And they keep telling people that this can happen. The chicken tastes like tuna. It must be Miller's comet. (laughs) The whole neighborhood is out. 
of power, uh, except for a house about two blocks up. Ah! What the hell was that? Mike, is Kevin. that door locked? I'll, say, I'll check it. Baby, stay away from the door. door. I can't stand this. I'm gonna go see Not what's going on. I'm sorry, but I'm going. Us. See that? Oh my God. This is bad. This is really Wait, bad. You, what's the box? That was at the other house. Oh, oh my God. God. Baby, what did you see? You, what, you? Did, you what see? did you see? We don't even belong here. Everybody knew about this. He told us. He told us. Everybody knew about this except me. We have to just get through the night, okay? We are not from this house. We are visitors. I'm crossing all kinds of boundaries. I don't want to be stuck here. Interesting. That That is one I've been meaning to watch, but I have not seen. Awesome. Well, we look forward to it. Please join us next week in uh, uh, watching the movie. Sh submit your thoughts to bsbargainbin at outlook.com. You can hit us up on our YouTube videos or on Twitter to share your thoughts on it. Until next week, have a good one, guys. All the best, guys.